Well, how am I supposed to follow that? <laughs> Preaching after a children's story? Man, I don't know if I've ever done that before. Man, that's not a, that's not a, man, you're supposed to save, you know, you're supposed to, you know, the best one's supposed to be last, you know, maybe I should have preached first and then let, let that happen, I don't know, but appreciate the good story, a good reminder of what Jesus was willing to risk for his, because of his love for us. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing this series in Timothy. And we've been talking about the fact that Timothy was sent to the church at Ephesus. And the, the church at Ephesus has problems, doesn't it? Has a lot of problems. They've got women who think that it's uh, time for a fashion show. They've got uh, old men getting drunk in public. They've got... Um, widows who are taking advantage of the generosity of the church. Uh, they've got people teaching false doctrine. They've just got all sorts of things going on in this, in this church. And uh, Paul sends Timothy. And here's a, a letter. This letter that we're reading is a letter of guidance and, and uh, help for Timothy as he's leading the church and and we're trying to, our hope and our prayer in this series is that the Lord will help us to know how to handle difficult situations as a church. And uh, last week we talked about how to handle difficult people. And uh, I believe that you'll be able to hear that online if, you, if, if you've missed that. But um, we want to continue. We want to continue um, with uh, Paul's teaching. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word to change your Change your posture a little bit, maybe shake a tired leg or something, and you wake up, a, and we'll, we'll look at, we're going to read just the first eight verses, and uh, let me just interject here, pray for me, I get to, next week's the controversial stuff, and so I suppose next week uh, you'll either want to be here and, and leave your tomatoes at home, all right? <laughs> but uh, this week, I don't believe we'll be into too much controversy. First Timothy chapter 2, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to, to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Father, help us tonight. I know that the clock has gotten away from us. And, and Lord, I know that sometimes we can get in our minds that we should be somewhere else. But I ask that you just help us tonight to be able to focus for just a little while on the truth of your word. Guide us and help us to say the right things. Help us to avoid to say anything that would be hurtful or discouraging. But Lord, help us to lift up high your name and who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A church that's got problems, and we haven't even started dealing with the problems yet. 
We'll get to that next week. We'll start there. But this church is, you would think that if Paul's got, you know, he's sending this letter. It's expensive. He's got, you know, paper's expensive. He's going to be sending this. And, and, you know, he, you would think that Paul would be getting to the point. And he hasn't yet. We've, so far, we've, we've just kind of uh, just given us some guidelines, just some, things, some kind of things to, to just help Timothy out a little bit. Hasn't started dealing with the specific problems of the church. And, and here we are at, at this point, Paul is, is starting to, uh, set, shall we say, set the plow. He's going to start dealing with a little bit of the thing, issues that are going on in the church. And, and yet, it's not really an issue. But I think that what Paul, why Paul begins with this discussion on prayer is that when a church has problems, it's probably a, you probably can point to the prayer life. When there's problems in a church, no, I'm not saying, listen, let me, whoa, let me back up. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm not talking about disagreements, okay? I'm not talking about, um, Need, not needing to discuss things and, and, and to work through things, that's people. Where there are people, there are going to be hurt feelings. There are going to be things that come up, the differences of opinion, and there's no carnality. There's no, we're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, a need to address something. Okay, that's not at all what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when we've got things that are hurting our unity, things that are hurting our relationships, things that are making us have a bad reputation in our community, when people want to start leaving a church because of, the, of these particular issues, you usually can point to an issue with prayer life of either the individuals who are are, uh, shall we say, causing the difficulties, and maybe that's a little hard to say because we don't always know who's the cause, but the people that are not taking the proper measures to deal with the problem. Jesus said that when you were making your sacrifice and you're, at, you're there at the altar, you're making your sacrifice, and you remember, oh, I've got a problem with my brother. To leave the sacrifice and go take care of it with your brother. And I've had different times people will complain to me about their brother or sister in the Lord. And I'll say, have you talked to them yet? No. What do you want me to do about it? You haven't followed Jesus' command. Well, I'm afraid. Well, if you're afraid, I'm go I'll go with you. But our... There are things in the scripture and how to deal with people. Jesus lays those out for us. And when we're not willing to do what God wants us to do, do you know what happens? Is our prayer life starts suffering because of it. I know I've got a problem with Brother John. I know I do. I've got a problem with him. I don't know what it is yet, but I got a big problem with Brother John. But I'm not going to talk to Brother John about it. I'm going to talk to Jimmy about it. Jimmy, you know, you know Brother John. I got a problem with him. I don't know what it is, but you want to have a problem with me and both Brother John? 
And you know what? A lot of times Brother Jimmy does. I hope it's not. But, but he, you know, Brother Jimmy gets on it. And so Brother Jimmy and I, we're talking about it. And we say, you know what? Dean, we've got to get you in on this. we got this problem with John. And man, pretty soon everybody's got a problem with John, and John doesn't know what the problem is. And you know, we don't either. Maybe we do. Maybe we know that, you know, man, uh, that brother John, I mean, he takes up two parking spots out there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we've got some convoluted thing. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's a real problem. But instead of, instead of dealing with it between him and myself that I've got this issue with, you know what happens? We begin to talk to everybody about it but to the Lord. Because you know what happened if I go to the Lord about it? I said, Lord, I've got this problem with John. He takes up two parking spots out there in, in the parking lot. Really drives me crazy because, you know, we've got a, such a full parking lot here. and We don't have parking issues. And he always par double parks. I just really got this problem with him. You know what the Lord's going to say to me? He's either going to say, really? Do you know how many problems you've got, buddy? <laughs> Or he's going to say, if it's really that big of a problem, go talk to your brother about it. And I don't want to hear either one of those things. And so guess what? I'd rather talk to Jimmy because Jimmy's going to agree with me. He's not going to point his finger at me. At least I hope not. And if he does, I'm not going to go talk to him. I'm going to go uh, and uh, talk to Brother Gary. And we're going to, you know what happens is then the churches start taking sides. And now we got the brother John's side and the, and the pastor Morford's side. And whose side are you on? Wow. And you know it's happening here in the church at Ephesus. He, they're having, there's people that are arguing that, that Paul isn't an, is not an apostle. And Paul is saying, I'm an apostle I'm in Christ. I'm not lying. There's people that are arguing over Paul's authority because they are picking sides. They don't want to listen to Paul's authority. And so they've sided with Brother John who says we shouldn't listen to Pastor Morford anymore. You say that stuff doesn't happen. I've been, I've been in churches where it's happened. I've been in churches where it's happened where they split and they pick sides. And sometimes it's the pastor and sometimes it's somebody else. There's one church I knew about, they decided, the whole church decided they were freezing one family out. They were going to freeze this, they wanted the whole family gone. And they, nobody was allowed to talk to them, no, they, no one was allowed to make them feel welcome. And the pastor said, I'm not doing that, that's not biblical, I'm not being a part of it. So they voted the pastor out. You know, it's funny that all those people died off, and that one of those children of that family came back and pastors that church right now. I just love the Lord and his irony, his sense of humor. God knows what he's doing. But you know what? We don't, and we get, we get into so much nonsense. And just a little bit of prayer would take care of a lot of it. Because you know what? When I know that i got a problem with Brother John, the Lord, and I'm in prayer, the Lord's going to say, don't sacrifice to me anything until you talk to Brother John. <sighs> Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? <clears throat> Brother John, 
Lord, I don't want you to talk about Brother John. I want you to answer my prayers. I'm mad at Brother John. I got a problem with Brother John. Don't, I want my prayers answered. Well, my prayers aren't getting answered, so why pray? You know what happens, and if we're honest, it's probably happened to us a few time or two, where we've gone to the Lord in prayer, and the Lord says, you remember so-and-so, and we're saying, oh, I don't even want to pray, because I know what the Lord's going to say. If we're honest, we've all been there. We haven't gone to the place of prayer because we know what God's going to say to us. And a church starts having problems when the prayer life of the church starts faltering. It just does. And the church at Ephesus is having a prayer problem. It's got, yo, it's got the, the lady issues and the widow issues and the old man issues and, and, and the false doctrine issues. Yes, those things are going on. But Paul is saying, you know what the priority, the root cause of all this nonsense is there's a prayer problem. It's really hard for me to have a problem with Brother John when I go to the place of prayer and I'm praying for Brother John. And I'm saying, Lord, help bless Brother John. Help him in, in his bus driving. Keep him safe. And, and uh, man, I really... But make him feel real bad about what he did to me. It's really hard to do that, isn't it? If I'm praying for Brother John with the way that I ought to, if, even if my whatever I'm upset with him about, if it comes up, man, you know what happens? It just puts the brakes on all my prayers. And I'm going to have to deal with it, whether it's going to Brother John and saying, Brother John, we got a problem. you got to stop your double parking. I just can't live with it. <laughs> or I'm going to just have to get over it and forgive him and move on. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things that if they get to the point of talking to the, them, it didn't even need to happen. Let's just move on. There's a lot of things to just move on. And, and folks, listen, I'm not, I, I'm praying and I'm hoping that you understand that this is not a reflection of, of our discussion earlier in the service. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just trying to help us understand what the scripture is saying, and this just happened to come up this week. And if you're getting nailed by the Holy Spirit, I want you to know it's the Holy Spirit. I didn't pick this to fix. This, you know, I didn't do that. It's one of the nice things about preaching through books is, is man, the Holy Spirit does it his way, and if, you get, if, if it just fits, it fits. I didn't do it on purpose. So I, please, please understand, this is not me... This is not me re referencing anything that I, we discussed earlier in the service. I truly believe as a church that we are doing well. And I don't think we have a lot of church problems. But I'm just trying to help us to understand that if, if we're holding on to things, it's going to affect our prayer life. And so Paul oh, begins to say, he begins to, to give us a, a, a reporter's view, shall I say, of, of prayer. And so, usually we start with who, but Paul starts with what? What should we do? Well, we should pray. And he gives us four different kinds of prayers. And man, I could have, I could have spent a whole sermon on this. Almost, maybe I better. 
getting late. Four kinds of prayers. First of all, he says that there is supplication. Do you know what supplications are? They're asking God to help us to avoid evil. And when you're praying, Lord, help us not to get the coronavirus, that's a supplication. Lord, keep us safe as we travel into corona-infested Utah, or wherever you're going. I know that's where the seizures are going. Lord, help us as, as, a, as a church to avoid conflict with each other. Help us, supplications are a request, asking God to help us to avoid evil. And then there's prayers. Those are requests for good things. So you're asking God, Lord, we'd like good health, and we would like, uh, you know, we'd like for you to give us to this day our daily bread, and Lord, have your presence. May I sense your presence today, wherever I am. So prayers are those requests for good things. So supplications are help us to avoid the bad. Prayers are the help us to have the good. And then there's intercession. That's prayers for other people. That's me praying for, for Brother John and his bus route and Brother Dean and, and Sister Denise and, and uh, Brother Doug as they're on their bus routes. Uh, Lord, keep them safe as they're, they've got many souls that are in their hands. And, and as I'm praying for you and your situations and I'm praying on your behalf, that's intercession. And then there's thanksgiving. Prayers of praise and of gratitude and thankfulness. Four different ways to pray. And you know what? I, I really think that's a good, a good start. You know, we're, we, get, we struggle. I don't know how to pray. What, what do I got to do? Well, this is what we're supposed to do. Pray to avoid the bad. Pray to receive the good. Pray for others. And then have praise and, and gratitude for all that God's already done for you. I mean, that's, that's just a, that's a good way to start prayer. If you don't know how to start, start there. I think that'll work. And so he says, this is what we ought to do. We ought to pray. Well, who? Who should I pray for? Well, Paul has an answer for that too. See, he's answering. He's just kind of going down. He says, well, I want you to pray for all men. Wow. He wants us to pray for everybody. I, I love that. You know, there's those five-point Calvinists who believe that God picks certain ones to be saved and certain people to go to hell. And I say, if that's true, then why would Paul tell me that I should be praying for all men? Shouldn't I only be praying for the elect? Why waste my prayers on people who aren't getting in anyhow? It doesn't make any sense. This is one of the things that's so wonderful about Methodism. When Methodism showed up, people were amazed because Methodists believed that, that anyone and everyone could be saved. And if you're a sinner, you had opportunity to be saved. The Presbyterians of the day, they didn't know whether you could be saved or not. They kind of went into prayer not knowing what to do. So they kind of pray for you and maybe hope that if something happened good and if something didn't good, something good didn't happen, well, you just out of luck. Whew. Man, the Methodist is sitting on the street, grabbing by the collar and saying, man, you can be saved. And some of them were crazy enough to do it. 
You read about some of those old circuit riders. I mean, they, they were on the trail. They were hunting down souls because they believed that every one of them could be saved. Thank God. Thank God for the Methodist circuit riders who went up and down the trails, had a life expectancy of 30, 31 years of age, willing to give their life to preach in the message that you can be saved. Our Methodist circuit riders, this nation owes a debt it could never even imagine to those circuit riding preachers whose names have often and most of them have been forgotten by history. We owe an incredible debt to them. And if we've had God's favor, and I know many believe that, and I believe that, but if we've had God's favor, I believe it's been because of those circuit riding preachers who believed all men could be saved. And they were willing to pray with anyone and for anyone. But then he said also, he says... But especially, you need to remember to pray for your king and for those that have authority so that you can have peace in your life. Wow. You know, that's an important thing, to pray for our leaders so that we can have peace. You know, because, you know, someone asked me, they said, why are you concerned with the moral state of our president? Well, that's an interesting question. I thought we all, I thought, I was always, I always thought we cared about the moral state of our president. You know, when Bill Clinton was having his issues, it was a big deal. And every president since, the moral state of our president has mattered. When, when President George W. Bush said that there was weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and it proved it wasn't. There was a question of what, did they lie purposely or did they have just bad intel? And then whether you supported him or not probably determined how you fell on your opinion on that. But what mattered was the was a moral state of our president. Was he lying to us? It mattered. <clears throat> under, our, under President Obama, we had questions about some of the scandals that were involved and were, was he faithful to those that he was supposed to protect? And it was called into question. And under this president, there have been questions about his moral character. I, just, I was kind of shocked by the question. It was asked by a Christian, no less. Why do you care about the moral condition of the pastor or of the president? He, we're, not, we're not electing... Yeah, I've heard this. I love this. We're not electing a pastor. We're electing a president. I'll tell you why I care about the moral condition of our president. Because God requires it of the nation whose king or president is morally bankrupt. And when the king, David, when he was morally bankrupt, do you know what happened? There was a plague that was on the people. And when Ahab was morally bankrupt, the people suffered drought. And when other kings were, were wicked, they, were, they were, suffered invasions and they were carried off into captivity. I care about the moral state of our president because I believe as a nation we bear the results of their wickedness. And their, if they sin, we, we carry with it a, a responsibility and God will hold us accountable. And if he held the kings of Israel held the people responsible for the kings who they didn't elect, who they were stuck with, whoever was king, 
If God was willing to, to hold the people responsible for the behavior and the morality of the king, how much more so us who are voting them in and selecting them by choice? That's why I'm concerned and why I believe Paul told us we better pray for our kings and those that have authority over us because we will bear the consequences of immoral leaders. And if we don't think so, if we don't want to believe that, you need to take some time in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You say, I don't like those books, they're boring. We better spend some time in them. If we don't believe that the moral state of our leaders it reflects... Read First and Second Samuel. The moral state of the king reflected the weight of the burden of responsibility was on the people. And if we're not understanding that, if we don't under, if we don't get a hold of that, folks, we're going to get loose in who we put in, and we're only going to care about politics and not morality. And our nation is doomed, just as Rome was doomed. When the immorality so overtook, and even though they had Christian ideas and, and, and they had Christian emperors, it didn't save them because the immorality corrupted from the inside. And that's why I care. That's why I care about the moral state of, our, of those that we elect. And honestly, we should care more about that than probably politics and economy and all the other things. And Paul says, we better pray for our kings and those that have authority. I'm talking about our governor. We are talking about our mayor. I'm talking about all those that have responsibility in the House and, and Senate and all those things on down. We better take a note of it. We are electing them and we're saying to them, God, judge us morally how they live. They're our leaders. And God will judge us morally. And we will suffer the consequences, or we will reap the blessings. Whether we have a good leader or an immoral leader. And that's why I care so much. Paul says you better pray for that king, you better pray for them, because the, the king determines the peace of the people. And when the king is immoral and God sends judgment, whether it's plague or, or locust or drought or an invader, it's the people who suffer. And oftentimes the king gets off pretty easy because he's wealthy enough he doesn't suffer as much. Occasionally, of course, that when they were taken into captivity, they suffered horribly. But it's the people who suffer the most. So who are we supposed to pray for? We're supposed to pray for all men, but, but Paul makes a special point. Pray for those kings. Pray for those that have authority. That's a very serious situation. Because our peace, our peace is where, is where it's at. Oh, that God would help us to be people of prayer. I see our time is going quickly. Let me just see if I what I can what I can just try to hit the highlights here of this this evening. I don't want to keep you too long. Where should we pray? He says everywhere. That, that's that whole point. If you can't pray there, you shouldn't go there. I think that's enough preaching on that point, right? How shall we pray? How shall we pray?
Paul says two things that you should not have in your prayer life. Wrath and doubting. Going back to our illustration with Brother John, I can't be mad at Brother John and pray. I have that wrath in me. Lord, can you send a little lightning bolt to zap him? No, that doesn't, you can't pray that way. God doesn't want us to be praying in wrath. Oh, Lord, I just, oh, that Supreme Court justice, I'll give him a heart attack. No. Mm-mm. Lord, that, that president, oh, he's a, he's a wicked person. Oh, I can't stand him. He's of the wrong political party, and he's letting this in and that in. Zap him, Lord. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not the, way, the prayers of, of godly people. It's without wrath. You know what? I think most of us probably can get away with that. Most of us probably understand that. But what about bitterness? Can we pray without bitterness? Bitterness is part of wrath. Oh, it's a little milder form. Can we pray for, for someone we can't, that we won't talk to and we, won't, we don't want anything to do with them? We're giving them the cold shoulder. You know, we call it, what do we call that, passive-aggressive? Can we get, can, you think we can pray that way? Lord, I can't talk to him. I'm so mad at him, but you know, bless him. You know, when we start, when we start really digging into this word wrath, it, start, it starts making it a little more uncomfortable, doesn't it? Time's short, but, it, but folks, this is, this is where it's at. This is where a lot of our prayers get hindered. When Peter tells us that sometimes, sometimes our prayers are hindered because of the way we've treated our wife, men. And it's interesting that he just points it to the husbands and not to the wives. I'm not sure why they don't get their prayers hindered sometimes. Maybe they do. But probably Peter had to tell us men because sometimes we men, we can be a little thoughtless with our words. We can be a little careless sometimes. Maybe we didn't mean to be hurtful, but we were. I told you not too long ago, I just sensed that there was something wrong. And I had to ask, I had to ask her, I said, what, is there something going on? What I do? She wasn't giving me the cold shoulder. She wasn't doing anything wrong. I just could sense there was something wrong. And I had to go and make it right. You know why? Because if I had ignored it, my prayers would, would have been hindered. You say, is that really wrath, Reacher? I don't, it's, it's in its infancy. It's in its infancy. Well, she's got a problem. She should, she should bring it up. That's not what Peter said. And quite honestly, what, 
you know, I th- and I know we'll end up getting into some of this in leadership and submission in, in the home. As leader of the home, it's my job to make sure that all the relationships are working right. And if a relationship isn't working right between me and my wife, it's my job to take care of it. It's my job to make sure it's taken care of. And thank God for the times that she stepped up to the plate when I was being too immature to do it. And I'm embarrassed to say that there have been times where she was the one that stepped up to the plate first and said, we need to take care of this. I wish I could say I was always the man to man up first. But I haven't always. I hope I'm doing better. I'm asking God to help me to do better. But it's my job as head of the home to make sure that the relationships are clear. It's my responsibility. And if they're not, my prayers are going to get hindered. If we're going to have a prayer life that's going to work, we're going to have to make sure that we're praying without wrath. We're going to have to make sure that we don't have anger and bitterness and and issues with others. But you know what else? We need to make sure that someone doesn't have something against us. Because you know what? If Brother John knows that his double parking's driving me nuts and it's really a thorn in my flesh, and he's double parking on purpose because he just wants to get my goat, you know what? His prayers are going to get hindered. I know this isn't popular preaching. This isn't what probably you hear very, very much. But I tell you what, we, I, th- I wonder if some of the reason we have prayerlessness in our churches is because we've got issues that we're not willing to deal with. And this is before Paul even deals with the, what we would call the real issues. In the, at the church at Ephesus, he's telling Timothy, you got to deal with the broken prayer life first. And you're going to have to deal with the anger and the wrath and, and the, the discontentment and, and, the, and the fussing between each other. Every revival that I've been a part of, every single revival that I have been a part of, has begun by someone confessing that they were holding ill feelings towards someone else in the church. I've never been a part of a revival that didn't start that way. I'm not saying there aren't revivals. that Maybe you can tell stories of ones that you've been a part of that started differently. But every revival that I've ever been a part of where we truly had revival, whether it was at camp, whether it was at church, whether it was during a revival service, whatever it was. But when I've experienced revival in my life, someone has said, I've been holding on to feelings towards so-and-so. And I want to confess publicly, and I want to ask for forgiveness, and I need to confess publicly because I know I've been hurting the church with my bad attitude. And if we don't have revival... You might want to ask, Lord, am I praying with wrath? He says not to pray with doubting. Well, I don't know if my prayer is doing any good. You know what? I don't know how to help you with that. I mean, we've been trying to discuss who God is. We've been trying, we've been trying to talk about His character. You say, but God already knows what's going to happen tomorrow. What does my prayers have to do with anything? He has everything to do with everything. He's, man, I, 
to have a privilege of being able to have a conversation with a, the, the God of this universe. And the fact that he wants to have a conversation with us, man, why would we doubt he's invited us to come? He's invited us to cast our cares and our burdens on him. Why would we doubt? Well, I'm not sure it really matters. All I can tell you is it really does. I don't understand why the God of the universe and all of his wisdom has permitted us to be able to bend the will of God. I don't know why that is. But I know Abraham was able to bend the will of God. And I know that David was able to bend the will of God. And I know that Elijah was able to bend the will of God. And down through the scriptures, man after man and woman after woman has somehow bent the will of God through their prayers. And disasters have been avoided. And blessings have been poured out because somebody prayed. I wish, I wish that I could tell you that you get everything you want when you pray. But you wouldn't want that. You know, I, we live in a world where people who don't believe in God or at least don't want to follow Him, I mean, they're praying all the time, Lord, help me to have the winning lotto numbers. Man, when I read about the disasters of some of the families that have won the, the money, one couple I was reading about, they, they got this money, they, got, they were doing so, uh, uh, they were giving their granddaughter, who had, they had raised so much money, and she was blowing it on drugs. And she ended up overdosing and killing herself, all because she had so much money, she, she didn't know what to do with it. And how sad and how tragic. We wouldn't want God to say yes to all our prayers. But this is the part that I think is so powerful about our, our, our not doubting is I'm going to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, I know you know what's best. I know you do. I don't know what's best, but, but Lord, here it is. Here's my request. I'm making it known, but I'm asking you for you to do what's right, not just what I want. That's why I pray in your name. I really would like this to happen, but Lord, I'm trusting you to do what's right and what's good. Paul's prayers for Timothy before he ever gets into the dealing with the problem. Paul, uh, come on, Timothy, you got to pray. There's contention, there's problems, you've you got difficult people, you've got, you got difficult situations, you got to get your people praying. I believe if Paul could just say one sentence to us, I think he'd say, people, you got to pray. If you want to avoid the dangers of compromise in this world, you're going to have to pray. If you're going to see a revival, you're going to have to pray. If we're going to see this generation of young people and children take up the old-fashioned way, you're going to have to pray. If you want to see God move, if you're going to want to see people come to the Lord from our community, if you want to see God do something in our community, you're going to have to pray. 
And if we're going to have our, any problems that may be out there that, that I don't know anything about, because I don't think we have any problems, we're going to have to pray. Before we even can address the issues, before we can even get into the, into the, the controversy and you know what? That's so beautiful because you know what? We can have controversy and we can have our opinions. And you know where I'm sure that next week, whatever I say, someone's going to disagree with me on. <laughs> That's okay. But we're going to pray. And because we pray without wrath and without doubting, we, we pray in love. You know what? We're going to get through it. And we can get through the controversy still united even in disagreement. Because we prayed. There is one God, there's one mediator, there's one throne. And we all gather around that mercy seat in our time of need. If we're going to see God move, we're going to have to pray. Let's stand together. I remind the ladies that Sister Susan would like to, I hope it's a brief meeting, the service has already gone late. But if you're able to help with the funeral meal, please, ladies, uh, Sister Susan would like to have a uh, a conversation with you. Brother Rocky, would you please dismiss us in prayer?